Oh, give me one second. I can't. Time is non-transferable. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. This episode of iFreaks is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your client. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to ifreakshow.com slash codeschool. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 85 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have James Zuber. Hello from Minneapolis. Pete Hodgson. Hello from still wet San Francisco. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, Jay Thrash. Hello from North Carolina. Still in North Carolina, huh? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. We had you on about a month ago, but do you want to introduce yourself anyway? Sure. Yes, I'm here in North Carolina. I live in the uh, near the Research Triangle area. I've been here for quite a while working amongst my fellow technologists. And for the past uh, three or four years, I've been very involved with iOS development and uh, really enjoying it. Awesome. We brought you on today to talk about prototyping. And this is something that I've been interested in. I have some apps that I want to build but I would like to build some prototypes and show them to people before I actually go build them. Is that the kind of prototyping we're talking about? So there are actually, I guess, two mediums of prototypes that I like to deal with, and it all comes down to whether we're going to talk about uh, paper versus pixel prototypes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they both, that, you know, both forms have uh, quite a bit of value when it comes to building successful applications in a fairly reasonable amount of time. So basically what you're saying is you can do it with a pen and paper or you can do it with an application. Exactly. So when I'm working on ideas for a new app, or even if I'm kind of working through ideas for a feature for an existing app, a lot of times I like to start with paper prototypes. And initially it's probably just a lot of rough sketching. And I like to think of these as my kind of unit tests for my ideas. Because with uh, pen and paper, it's very easy to sketch out a lot of ideas and kind of work my way through a user interface or a workflow in, in a way that allows me to catch maybe dead ends or missing steps that I might not have realized that I needed before I started sketching out those ideas. So do you find that there's any more or less impedance using like a whiteboard or something as opposed to pen and paper? I guess it, it depends on the setting. 
I just I feel like I'm more productive when it comes to sketching when I use pen and paper. But if it's more of a group setting, I could see how whiteboards would be useful. Um, I also like to do a lot of the sketching on paper because it's easier to um, retain it and you know show it again later. Whereas whiteboards, you don't want to sketch out some great idea and then have you know the do not erase on it for the next three months while you work through it. And there are some techniques that that I've used with some of the teams that I've um, worked with. We have what we call sketch boards where we sketch out ideas and kind of put them on this big piece of like craft paper. And then we, at any point, we can kind of roll that big craft paper up and move the collection of prototypes around if we need to. That makes sense. It's kind of like doing them on sticky notes and being able to move them around kind of thing. Right, right. But at a little bit of a larger scale, I guess. Do you ever take those prototypes and kind of, I don't know, take them to a coffee shop and grab random people and ask them what they think of them? Not so much with the paper prototypes. I think that when it comes to uh, getting feedback from people outside of the team, I found that the, like the, what I call the pixel based prototypes, so prototypes that are running on the device are, are a bit easier to test in those environments. For the paper prototyping, that's usually taking place, at least for me, in my experience, it's taking place amongst the team that I'm working with. And I find that it allows you to, in a sense, externalize your thinking. So rather than, like, if I'm talking to you about a feature and I'm just describing it verbally, at the end of that discussion, you and I might have somewhat different understandings of how that feature might actually work. But if I sketch something out, even if it's in a rough form, we now have this kind of shared visual understanding of what it might look like. And we're both, I think, much closer in that overall understanding. I've definitely had that experience of talking with, not just with kind of UI-based stuff, but even kind of software stuff, like talking through something. And we're like, okay, great, we're on the same page here. And then we go to draw it out and we're like, wait, wait, well, hold on. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And it's it's a lot better if you, you know, work out all of those inconsistencies and misunderstandings as early in the development process as you can. You certainly don't want to be discovering that stuff when you're a couple of weeks away from shipping or something like that. So are there any tips that you have for drawing it on paper? Certain things you want to make sure you get or don't miss? Or Well, I think probably the the first tip and the, the thing that I think is most important is just to do it, just to try it. Um, I know early on I was very reluctant to do it because I'm not a good... I'm not an artist, you know. I, I work all day with by typing on keyboards. I'm not using my hands to draw um, really nice, nice things. But I had to get over that misunderstanding that sketching. I'm sketching out my ideas. I'm not drawing my ideas. So sketches can be very rough and lightweight. And just you know, practicing and getting through that will allow you to understand how much value I think that there is in sketching out your prototypes. Or, or your, you know, your UI designs. Part of me wants to get those, uh, markers, the dry erase markers that write on dark surfaces and then like vandalize my iPhone. <laughs> or just you get can, something about you, the same size anyway. You can get those notepads, right? Or you can just draw around your iPhone. Right. I found, you know, when I'm sketching out something that's, that I want to be about the size of an iPhone screen, uh, well, I guess this won't work anymore now that we've got the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, but something the size of a business card or a credit card, if you just put one of those down on a piece of paper and trace around it, you've got 
a rectangle that is um, pretty close in size to what the, I think the iPhone 5 screen size was. So that's a, a quick and easy way to sketch out those, those screen sizes. And you might draw like, you know, 10 of them across a page and then use those to, to work through a series of, uh, of screens. Is there a concept maybe of dealing with different screen sizes or do you, if you're prototyping an app, do you just prototype out the iPhone app and then go back to the drawing board, so to speak? Or I guess literally this time for the iPad or whatever? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I think that for those different screen sizes that because it's just pen and paper, it's pretty easy to go back and resketch things for what it might look like given the different dimensions of the screen sizes. And you can certainly... You can compose the larger screen based on some of the individual components you have on the on the iPhone screen. So I know these days, what they call it, card-based UIs are very popular. So what you might do is design like what an individual card looks like in your UI, and then perhaps in the iPhone sketch, all the cards are laid out vertically, but in the iPad sketch, they're laid out in a uh, grid fashion. And then you could use other, you know, really lo-fi techniques like sketching things out on um, sticky notes, and then you can move them around. So you could say, okay, this is what it looks like when it's on the iPhone screen, but if I take it and move it over to this other sketch, this is how they're going to lay out on the iPad. And you can move things around and kind of show where things go when they get deleted or reorganized into folders, or, you know, it, it all depends on what kind of UI you're trying to put together. I find it's like it's surprising how much like adding a physical element helps people brainstorm through that stuff kind of collaboratively, like having things on, on stickies and, and standing at a wall or a, a whiteboard or a table or whatever and saying, oh, what if we do this thing before that thing? Or what if we put this thing inside of that other thing? And kind of having that conversation and moving pieces of paper around. It's really surprising how much more engaged people get in the conversation. You draw people into that, that conversation, I find. Right. And I know in some of the environments that I've worked in, we like to keep those kind of sketch collections up on a wall so people can have access to them whenever they want to and kind of reflect back to them as inspiration when they're trying, you know, you might be in a phase of the app when you're actually implementing the UI and you might not remember, okay, why are we doing it a specific way if you've got all those original sketches and things around, you might be able to spark a memory that makes you understand, oh yeah, that's, that was why we decided to do it this way because, you know, some other thing, we had to avoid some pitfall in a previous design. I'm wondering, so I'm, I'm a freelancer. I know Jame is as well. And Pete works for a consulting company. So are clients usually pretty open to the hand-drawn things or do they want something with a little more polish, maybe, you know, that's done with pixels? Well, I think that that's going to depend on the client. It's going to be different for everyone, you know, based on your interactions with them. You might, it might be kind of a, I don't know, a larger client that is expecting more refined uh, mock-ups from you. Uh, or it might be somebody who's, you know, a smaller project that you're helping someone get their first app in the app store and they're okay with low fidelity sketches. But uh, I think that certainly internally, just as you're trying to get a lot of ideas out of your head and collect it on paper. That's where I think the, the real value in these lie. And then, you know, once you've refined that idea and maybe laid out potentially a majority of the, of what the app interface might be, then you can maybe change focus and start working with some of the more 
pixel-based prototyping tools. And then that could be the things that you share externally with people. That's true. I guess you can communicate with your client and just find out what they expect. Right. I think for like for some people it actually really helps to make it look not finished because it a it communicates that there's still a bunch of work to do because you don't you don't get that problem of like oh you're really done look at that the Photoshop looks great um, <laughs> let's let's ship it and it leaves it more open again to collaboration I think right like if people see it's a sketchy thing ideally if they're standing next to you while you're sketching it, then again, they can get drawn into collaborating on it rather than kind of feeling like, oh, well, this is, you know, graphic design. I'm, I'm not qualified to, um, to weigh in on this or I'm not, I don't know how to use Photoshop, so I can't contribute to this discussion. And there are even a lot of app prototyping tools out there that intentionally use kind of that rough hand-drawn look because they want to reinforce the fact that these are just prototypes. These are not finished products. So it helps kind of like prevent that, that, that misunderstanding with the people that you're sharing it with. Right, right. I used to, for a while, I was experimenting with, I was working on a on a web app, and the client kind of wanted, I, I disagreed with the idea in general, but the client wanted to do the design, do the, the fit and finish of the CSS later, and just wanted to get like the information architecture out. I didn't want them to get hung up on the working progress UI. So I did all of the fonts in Comic Sans, just to make it really clear that that wasn't the final UI. But I'm not sure it actually worked out that well. I think the client got really annoyed at me for using Comic <laughs> So I had a similar uh, issue come up with one of the designers I work with where he said that he had a client that actually commended him on his selection of Comic Sans because they felt like it oh, really man. captured the, the, uh, the look that they were going for, even though... You know, he was just using it as as a pure placeholder font. So you can uh, end up. <laughs> that sounds like a, situation. a very high risk situation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I've I've had that where I sent a client the PSD. You know, I just exported it to a PNG, sent it over to them, and they emailed me back. Wow, you got that done fast. And I was like, well, there's just the design, and they're like, they're like, well, when are you going to launch it? You know, and it, yeah, it was, they thought that I had finished the app and taken a screenshot. And so the low fidelity right. does help with that. Yep, all I have to do, all I have left to do is code. We're That's good. right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Simple matter of coding. It's just typing. Yeah. I'm almost done. Just give me a few weeks. Yeah. And with, with the hand drawn, I mean, it's usually pretty obvious that it's hand drawn. Unless you're extremely talented and to spending way too much time on it. But yeah, that's one thing that I've seen with a lot of these tools like balsamic mockups and things is that they, you know, their prototypes are drawn lines. You know, it, it looks like it was hand drawn almost. So, you know, it's pretty obvious that you're not going to go with that as the final design. It really is just a prototype and it shows. Right. Right. And while we're still on the topic of the paper prototypes, one technique that I found very useful is the um, idea of what's called speed sketching sessions. I think it's what uh, some people on the internet refer to it as, where you kind of time box yourself in a session where you're going to sit down for maybe five or no more than 10 minutes. And this works great in a, in a team setting where you have a specific like a component or maybe a workflow within an application. And e for the next five or 10 minutes, everyone's going to sit down and come up with as many variations on that idea as they can. So it's not about refining it. It's all about kind of divergent and exploration design. And then at the end of that time, everyone kind of presents their ideas 
and they can kind of, you know, defend the decisions they made. And then everyone can pull the best ideas from all of those sketches and then use them in future uh, sketching sessions. So the, the next session will be based on ideas that came out of the first one. And then you refine it and refine it further until you come up with your final design. That sounds a lot like the idea of these design charrettes, which, according to Wikipedia, the origin of the word charrette is the French for cart or chariot. So um, these design (laughs) charrettes is a very similar idea where you you kind of just get a bunch of people together. And I think it's pretty much the exact same thing you you described, where you kind of just brainstorm by building a bunch of wacky ideas and, and presenting to each other. Right. Um, but the real, I think the real value comes out of them when you kind of constrain yourself as much as reasonably possible, right? So you say, okay, for the next five minutes, sketch as many ideas as you can for this particular thing, as opposed to just come up with whatever pops into your head. Let's start talking about some of the pixel options that are out there. You've got an article here from ThoughtBot on animating with Keynote, and I've actually purchased some Keynote, I don't even know what to call them like little slide doohickeys that you stick on there and they represent something that's in your web page or in your app. And, uh, you know, so you get buttons or whatever, and then you can actually make it so that button goes to a different slide. So if somebody clicks it, it kind of acts like the app. Have you used tools like that before in the past, Jay? Oh, a- absolutely. I've definitely used um, Keynote. Keynote is one of my uh, favorite pixel prototyping tools right now. It's pretty amazing how powerful the the drawing tools are within keynote and um you know now that we have keynote on ios uh, it has the added benefit of actually being able to access those prototypes on the final device which is hugely valuable when it comes to getting feedback on those prototypes uh, there was a collection of uh, templates that i remember using called i think it was a uh, keynote kung fu um, it might be at keynotekungfu.com, and it's a, a collection of both web and mobile kind of control widgets so that you can very quickly compose uh, a screen on these uh, UI elements that'll look like UI elements on the actual device. Yeah, those look pretty nice. I'm trying to remember which ones I picked up. It might have been this. It might have been something else. But it's nice because if you open up Keynote, I've done demos with this kind of thing too, and it's high enough fidelity, too, to where people think that you've finished the app. But if you make it pretty apparent that it's in Keynote, and so it's it's a slide that's just a little more interactive, then a lot of times you can get away with having a higher fidelity prototype and have them still understand, look, this isn't an actual thing you can stick on your phone. Right. There was a really great session at WWDC this year. I believe it was session 223, and it has the awesome title of fake it till you make it. And it was a presentation by three people in the Apple prototyping team talking about the processes that they go through when it comes to prototyping and designing applications within Apple. And they talk about how using Keynote is a vital part of that prototyping process for them because it lets them build out screens and take those screens kind of out into the world, so to speak, and share them with fellow you know, Apple coworkers and gain feedback from those coworkers on how they feel that a particular prototype, whether it's accomplishing the goal that they set out. Yeah, it makes sense. I think the one that I bought was Kinotopia. Yes. Yeah, I've heard of that one. And that one also has, I, I believe, collections of widgets for other 
presentation apps like PowerPoint. Yeah. So if you're on a you know a non uh, Mac or iOS platform, then there are other options for you out there with the what was it Keynote Topia? Yeah, I'll put a yeah. link in the show notes. Uh, and the Keynote Kung Fu also looks really nice. The yeah, other thing I, is, I, is you have shapes in Keynote, so you can just put a square in there and tell people it's a button. Exactly. Right. And you can very easily take, like, one, one thing I like to do is go on some of these websites like uh, UX Archive and um, Mobile Patterns and some of these other sites where they kind of curate great designs from mobile applications. And if I see, a, like, a screen layout that I think has some great elements to it, I'll take that screenshot, pull it into Keynote, and then use that as kind of the uh, basis for how I'm going to sketch out where various UI elements are going to be laid out on the screen. So I'll take that screenshot, crank the uh, opacity down so that it's very minimal, and then lay my elements out and then delete that screenshot. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I want to point out real quick, Kinotopia is for web. There, There is a flat UI mobile template, but I don't think it's as fully whatever as Keynote Kung Fu. Okay. So just to throw that in there. So uh, have you used some of the other tools? I'm trying to remember... Um, I tried one a while back that's like a full-on prototyping template deal. Well, the, the other prototyping tools that I've spent the most time using are Quartz Composer with the Origami plugin from the Facebook design team. Mm-hmm. And more recently, there's been a kind of Quartz Composer competitor called Form, and that is by Relative Wave. You can find that at relativewave.com, and I believe they were just acquired by Google. So this uh, form app used to be somewhere around 80 bucks, but after they got acquired, I believe they re-released it for free, which is great. Both of these tools are great when you're trying to prototype specific interactions within your app. So I wouldn't recommend using these to kind of prototype the entire navigational structure of an app. Like you might have a particular screen that's got a unique interaction on it, something that kind of brings some character to your application. And you really want to get that animation or that interaction nailed down. Quartz Composer with Origami as well as Form work great for that. So you can really tweak those animations and get them to the point where you're ready, where you feel like they've got the right feel to them before you sit down and try to code them up. That makes sense. I think the one that I was thinking of was Briefs. Yeah, that was the one I was going to mention. Oh, right. The one from Martian Craft. That one's great, too. That one is really good when you are needing to share those designs with clients. Mm -hmm. So I think that one works best for, you know, for companies that are doing work for other people because the Briefs app has that client app that other people install, and then you can share those prototypes with them so they can access them remotely. I have a question about this, and that's mainly that, so I've, I've been playing with the idea of doing some prototyping with one of these tools, but at the same time, it seems like they're as complicated as Interface Builder. And since Interface Builder is going to be the tool I use to build the interface anyway, (laughs) is there a reason for me to use some of these tools? You know, it's going to come down to each individual application that you're working on. You know, if you've you've got an app that is pretty, um, has a fairly standard UI, a very kind of uh, standard navigational flow, then you may not find a lot of value in using some of these more high-fidelity prototyping tools um, because you're going to be wiring up a typical, you know, table view navigation stack or something like that. So, you know, people, I think, already 
have a really good understanding of those kind of built-in system level behaviors. Uh, it's when you're working on things, I think, that are unique to your application, something that's new and different that you, I think, gain value in, in prototyping them with these tools before you implement them in code. Because a lot of times, the more that you implement things in code, the more that you're boxing yourself into a particular solution. And you may not have the opportunity to fully explore that idea and find like its best version of it, so to speak. You also kind of get into that sunk cost fallacy of like, oh, well, I've, I've already built some of it in Objective-C or Swift or Interface Builder or whatever, so I've got to reuse this stuff for my production and it kind of, you, for my production code, and then you get unnecessarily constrained to keep what you've got rather than throwing it away and starting from scratch. And I, I think it's really good to be able to wear different hats when you're doing different things. So if you're exploring an idea, you should be able to just hack a bunch of stuff together and play with it and move stuff around and uh, have things be really fluid. But once you get down to actually building the thing, you need to put on a different hat and start taking, you know, making it good quality code, not just throw it away code. I think it's okay to do throw it away code. It's just not okay to keep throw it away code around when you should be throwing it away. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you mentioned Xcode and Interface Builder because, you know, even though that's the application we will be using to actually build the application, our, our mobile apps, Interface Builder is actually a somewhat powerful tool that you can use for prototyping. So you might simply put together a series of screens in a storyboard and instead of those screens being composed of the actual UI controls like uh, table views or collection views or something like that, the screens could simply be screenshots from like a tool like Photoshop or Sketch, right? And then all you're just wiring them up using segues, and now you've got a, a real application that you can run on the device, but it's just letting you jump through what will be the eventual real user interface. And I've seen um, some people do that very uh, use that technique uh, very successfully for prototyping applications on the device. On one hand, that's a good balance for people that already know how to you know, wire up a storyboard and navigation and all that stuff pretty quickly. On the other hand, that gets us really down the path of, hey, this is done, isn't it? Because it, everything works yeah. like it should work. Right. On your right. phone, even. Yeah. I touch it and it moves to the next screen. Yeah, it's, it's a delicate balance, you know, because the best kind of feedback you're going to collect is when people are interacting with your prototypes on the actual device. If you've got a series of screens that someone's clicking through with a mouse or something like that, you know, they might give you some value, valuable feedback, but I think that until it's on the actual device, you're not going to get the real insights that you're looking for when it comes to working through the designs with prototypes. Um, so as long as you... <laughs> provide as many disclaimers as you can up front to let people know that these are, you know, just mocked up screens. We're going to walk through it on the device. You know, hopefully you're not going to mislead anyone into thinking that something is the, f the final or, you know, that, that that functionality has actually been implemented. Having dealt with enough clients, there's no way to do that. <laughs> just not touch this and they will still come back and say, hey, this doesn't work. I'm like, Yeah, you can put it happened. in 60 point font. This is not done. <laughs> <laughs> not even Comic Sans will save you. Nope. Right. How about Marker Felt? Well, that's yeah, I've tried that one too. <laughs> so, is there, is there an electric shock kit? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right. That's right. 
So so it's ready to ship. <laughs> yeah. So I'm wondering, how do you pick the right tool? So let's say I'm starting up a new application. What questions do I need to be asking myself in order to say, okay, well, I should sketch this out on paper or I should be using briefs or I should be using Quartz Composer or I should just go straight to Inter- Interface Builder or maybe Keynote? What are the right things to consider when you're picking one? That's a good question. I think for me, when I'm starting out, I always like to start with paper because I feel like it's such a low barrier to entry that just sketching out ideas up front before I touch anything that uses a keyboard and a mouse is always, I'm always going to gain additional insight and ideas from that simple act of, of sketching stuff out. Then once I'm ready to move to actual pixels, it really depends on what kind of application I'm building. Uh, if I feel like it's something where it's a kind of a workflow based app where the user, like in order to get a good idea of how you're using the app, you've really got to go through a series of screens. So in that point, I'm going to be prototyping a navigational structure. I think that Keynote works really well for that. But if it's an app that's very focused in its interaction, say something like a mock-up for something like Instagram, where it's basically just, I've got a list of photos, I can take a picture, I can post a picture. I've got a very limited set of interactions there. In that case, I might want to use something like origami or form to prototype some really interesting interactions with what happens when I take that picture and then I manipulate the filters or do something like that. So it's it's hard to say that there's a specific tool that's always going to work in every situation. I think it it differs from situation to situation, but you know, really it comes down to whatever you feel most comfortable using. So if you use Keynote all the time to make presentations and maybe keynote is something that you could use to do all of your prototyping in. I saw a really great post the other day from, was it ThoughtBot? I'll have to look this link up and, and we'll put it in the show notes, but he did a great video of um, some interaction prototypes that he built and he built them all in um, ScreenFlow, which is what most people use when they're doing um you know, screencasts and things like that, but ScreenFlow has drawing tools in it, and he actually used ScreenFlow to create the animations and then exported those into that movie into animated GIFs that he could share with his team. Oh, that's really interesting. So one option for building these kind of interactive prototypes, which I've heard at least one mobile developer advocate for, is using kind of a web technology to build something that's roughly you know, that's interactive but not super polished and then and using that as an alternative to building out an interactive prototype that's in a in like a prototyping specific thing. So using something like Ionic, for example, to just build the rough idea of the UI and then getting people to play with it and giving you feedback. I'm wondering if any of you folks have heard of that before, got any opinions on that? I'm not sure I completely follow. So you're using Ionic to do your prototyping? Yeah, so building out a simple kind of version of the app, uh, a throwaway kind of version of the app using Ionic, which is, for those of you that don't know, is kind of like an Angular-backed thing for building mobile web applications. So you build it in HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript maybe. And it's, you know, it's click-throughable and it will, it'll give you some idea for the information architecture and the, the high-level flows, but, but you're not going to necessarily going to take a bunch of time polishing the look and feel. So it's still kind of that sketchy, unfinished idea, but using web-based tools, I guess. It sounded like a really wacky idea, but this person said he had great success with it of 
I guess not necessarily a prototype, but more, I guess it's more in the realm of like an MVP, like let me build this and see if people are actually interested in it or if it actually engages people. So maybe it's like a level up from just a pure kind of prototype that you'd never put in the hands of any end users. Yeah, I know people who have built full-on apps with Ionic. Yeah, I mean, that's it. You know, that's, I'm sure the folks at Ionic would be quite upset if they thought that I, you know, was suggesting you only use Ionic for throwaway stuff and it's not a real thing. Like, they obviously want people to be building their entire product in Ionic, but it does seem like, so I guess particularly if you're the folks who are kind of coming up with the prototypes aren't necessarily super fluent in iOS, but they are kind of comfortable in more in the web-based world. I've worked with kind of designer slash front-end dev kind of crossover type people who, who will prototype. They're, they're not, they're never going to kind of build production apps in Angular, for example, but they'll prototype ideas in Angular and play with them and just put them in front of people to kind of see how people react to the idea rather than kind of building the final product. I could see that for like market testing, you know, where you actually have something that's functional that they can work through, but I'm not sure it will save you any work as opposed to doing something in like Interface Builder where, you know, you just build in the segues and tap, 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 go, go, go. Yeah, I guess I'm, I guess really the thing I'm describing isn't really a prototype. It's more like a, an MVP, like just the bare minimum to see if anyone actually can use the thing and get value out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it is valuable in the sense that you get a functional prototype, so it actually has the back-end code to do the work. And if you are more familiar with the web technologies, I can see that as a faster way to get something out the door. And then you can evaluate whether or not you have the trade-offs that make it worth switching over to Swift or our Objective-C, or whether or not people are just happy with it the way it is, and it doesn't have, you know, any of the issues that some of the other apps that really shouldn't be written as hybrid apps get written as hybrid apps. So, but yeah, I, I do like it for the MVP idea. I don't know if it's a great idea for prototyping or not. Yeah, I, I personally don't have any, I haven't tried any of those web-based tools, like a lot of them that are based uh, on like JavaScript. Like I know uh, I've talked to people who use Framer.js to do a lot of prototyping. But I'm I'm not the best uh, JavaScript programmer in the world, so I feel like going into that realm for me at least would be would kind of slow me down a bit because I would have to uh, you know I'd have a lot of baggage that I would need to learn ahead of time before I felt like I'd be you know productive using some of those tools. Mm, I think you just gave me a JavaScript Jabber episode. <laughs> <laughs> but we've talked to the famous JS and Ionic folks on JavaScript Jabber. But mm-hmm. yeah, I had never seen this Framer JS where it's actually animating your app for you. That's really interesting. Yeah, a few months ago, I guess this was back over the summer, we had a um a new local meetup group called Intent, which was for UI and UX designers. And um, you know, even though I'm not a, a UI or UX guy, I like to play one on TV. So I like to go to these meetups just to get ideas. And one of their first meetups was kind of a, a survey of all these different tools that people can use to do prototyping. And uh, Framer.js was one of the tools that, that was presented. And it was a great meeting because what they did was they, they had the same kind of app prototype and each person had to implement that prototype using one of these four or five different tools. So you got a really good understanding of what the strengths and limitations were for these various um, prototyping tools. Because some of them, you could get 
like all of the screens laid out and wired up really quickly, but the animations between the screens was, was really bad. Whereas others, you could do nice kind of fade and bounce animations and things, but wiring up multiple screens was complicated and difficult. Mm, I really like it. Uh, one thing that I am wondering about here is that it appears to, you take the image and you stick it on your application and then it, you know, it kind of animates through the images. What I'm wondering is, can you put demo apps in the app store? So, you know, they're not actually functional, but, uh, you know, you put up there, you know, this is a demo app for this kind of app. So, for example, if I wanted to build apps for, I always use the, uh, the example of plumbers. You know, so I wanted to build an app that's, you know, ABC plumbing app, you know, and then XYZ plumbing can also, you know, have an app just like ABC plumbing's app. Can you put the demo apps up there that just kind of show them what they could get or do they actually have to do something? That's an interesting question. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I know I've never tried to post an app like that. Like, so I don't even know if it would get through the approval process. I know that you can't. Any kind of keywords you might use in an app name or description that might imply that it's a beta or a test app will a lot of times get you rejected during the app approval process. Interesting. All right, one last question, then we'll get to picks, and that is if I wanted to go and put like a demo out on Kickstarter to build an app, would you recommend that I do a high-fidelity one, or do you think a sketch on Keynote or something would work? For something like that, I would think that you'd want, if if you could do a high fidelity, I think that would work best because that's going to put the best foot forward Mm -hmm. to, especially for people who are coming into, you know, viewing this, this project or whatever it is for the first time and don't have a lot of the background or the history of working on the project. You know, the first impression is always going to be the most valuable one. So yeah, I definitely think that, and a lot of times those uh, demos, that you see are typically created in something like, I don't know, After Effects, so that they are really kind of hand-tooled animations to make the app look the best that it can. Yep. All right, well, uh, some of us have a hard stop coming up, so uh, we'll go ahead and jump over to picks. Pete, do you want to start us off with picks? Surely, surely. My first pick is self-serving. The ThoughtWorks technology radar just came out today. Today, recording day, not today, the day you're listening to this, because I don't know what day you're listening to this, dear listener. Thorax Tech Radar is our opinionated opinions on what things we think are interesting for technology organizations to look at. Things that we think we would make fun of people if they weren't using them, all the way through to things that we would make fun of if people were using them. Uh, we do it about two or three times a year, I think, and it, it's just been released. So if you're interested in the world of technology and want to see what's up and coming, then uh, take a look. And my second pick is, I'm, I'm, I feel like someone must have picked this before, but the Dash app, really, really awesome for kind of keeping all your API documentation and stuff easily accessible and offline. So if you're trying to write software on a plane and the plane doesn't have Wi-Fi, then you can, you know, look up the documentation for any programming language or framework that you can really think of that they have, like a a doc set in, in the Dash app. It's it's not a free app. But, well, there's a free version, but it's worth paying for. It's cheap. It's like eight bucks or something, and it's a real productivity boost, if you ask me. And then my last pick is a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. So this is a book about kind of the way our brains work and the way that our kind of subconscious biases can affect the choices we make in life and the way our subconscious biases can affect how we communicate with each other. So 
I think this is really useful. It's particularly useful for those of you who are consultants or contractors, but it's just really interesting in general to kind of, it's got lots of really, really funny, like scientific studies about how bad our brains are when it comes to some kind of biases. There's a really interesting one about guessing people's, uh, how old Gandhi was when he died and how much you can affect people's guesses by making them spin roulette wheels and funny things like that. So I really enjoyed this book. So I think you should read it too. Those are my picks. Awesome. Jane, what are your picks? So I've got one pick. This is a book from Mike Montero, who is more known probably for using Goodfellas quotes to get our clients to procure payment and teaching us how to encourage them (laughs) along those lines. But he's also been writing some books lately. And this is a guy who he understands a lot about dealing with clients. And most of what he writes is about doing design but it really translates well to a developer. So if you're a consultant, freelancer, whatever you want to call it, he's got a book out that came out maybe a month ago called You're My Favorite Client. And this is meant for a designer to buy for their client, but it it does a great job of talking about kind of the relationship with people that are doing the work and people that are want to benefit from the work. So I thought it was a great read. So Mike Montero, You're My Favorite Client. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of picks. One is something that I'm just starting to play with now. It's an email system. I've used Entreport, Aweber, MailChimp in the past. Not a huge fan of Entreport's email stuff. It's just kind of clunky. Aweber and MailChimp do most of what I like or need, but they just didn't seem to quite have it. And so I've been playing with Drip. You can find it at getdrip.com. Anyway, it's it's a really cool system, and I'm really looking forward to some of the things that I can do with it. The other pick that I have is I found some iPhone design notepads on Amazon. They're not that expensive. They're like five bucks. And they have some in the iPhone 4S size and some others that I'm not sure quite what these these ones are, what size these are. But um, if you kind of need that, uh, I guess that frame around what you're working on so that you can kind of see what you're drawing in an iPhone, then uh, check that out. I'm more of the uh, school where I'll just draw a box and then fill it in. But uh, some people kind of need that so they can see it in context. So those are my picks. Jay, what are your picks? All right. So kind of sticking with the theme of the show, I've got a couple of uh, lo-fi picks. Uh, When it comes to paper prototyping, I typically stick to just using pencils and Sharpies. But whenever I want to highlight something or provide kind of depth or shadows, I always um, pull out my uh, Copic markers, especially like a C6 or a C2. Um, They're these kind of light gray markers that don't cover up what you're drawing and allow you to provide shadows and things and make your sketches look um, like really pop when you when you're showing them off and then for storing my markers I've got these great pouches from knock it's called the knock chimney top and it's a little zipper pouch that um, was actually started as a uh, Kickstarter project so they had a collection of like pen and drawing pouches others to store your um, sketch note pads and things in um, and they're really well constructed and uh, tough and they hold um, they're very small but they hold a surprisingly large amount of pens and pencils and erasers and things like that and then um, a, a new tool that just kind of came into existence within the past week or so is an app called Zeppelin which is a plugin for Sketch, and it allows you to create your um, style guides very quickly from uh, images that you've composed in Sketch. So you can maybe design a UI in Sketch, and then using Zeppelin, you can export that and extract 
information like what's the color palette, what fonts are being used, what's the spacing between all of the on-screen elements. And Zeppelin is a great tool for automating a lot of that. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Jay. It it was fun to talk, and I've got a ton of ideas now for uh, different things that I can use to prototype out some apps. Great. Uh, I was glad I could jump on the the podcast again. I had a great time last time, and this time was uh, no different. All right. Well, we'll wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakShow.com slash forum. 